Hey everyone, my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 64 of the show. We are finishing up the summer month of July 1964. We have three big comics bringing your way tonight. And that is going to be starting with Amazing Spider-Man 17, which um, I'm really excited to talk about. But I have to summarize, which I always find weird and awkward to do in front of you. But let's do it anyway, because that's what we've chosen. Um, it guest stars the Human Torch, and it says the return of the Green Goblin, and what a return it is, with two exclamation points. And it's got, the cover is kind of funny, it's got like Spider-Man and the Green Goblin shooting at each other, and the Human Torch sort of laughing in between like it tickles. Anyway, um... Ruggedly written by Stan Lee, robustly drawn by Steve Ditko, recently lettered by Sam Rosen. It's called The Return of the Green Goblin, which I already said. Uh, starts out with a big splash page of everybody making fun of Peter because they think he's a bookworm. But really, he's thinking about whatever happened to that old enemy of mine, the Green Goblin. How convenient. And, and like all superheroes, one of their powers is when you think about a villain you 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 want to think about they they show up again because the very next scene is the green goblin practicing on a spider-man dummy with new abilities possibly even a new glider and uh uh, uh yeah really wrecking that dummy so not good and then he changes into some mysterious regular businessman type looking guy and walks away and we don't know who it is um back at school flash thompson is starting the very first new york spider-man fan club at least that chapter. I think he's just starting a Spider-Man fan club. And, of course, all the kids are with him because he's popular and stuff. Spider-Man – or Spider-Man. Don't tell him. Peter Parker walks over there to see what all the hubbub is about, finds out what it is. But, of course, Flash is being Flash. And he's like, you can't join because you're a dweeb and dumb and you're scared of spiders. And he's like, well, I don't want to join anyway. And he leaves. But this, of course, infuriates Liz. And in her thought bubble, she dedicates the rest of her life to making sure that Peter can join this club. Uh, then it cuts to a robbery, a robbery, uh, with like really flashy, cool looking superheroes, like, or supervillains all dressed in purple with yellow capes and stuff. And they're jumping into a helicopter. So he turns to Spider-Man and he does this awesome triple flip and then another triple flip and flies all the way up there and arrests some, uh, whoops, it was a movie. So he basically just infuriated everybody and the entire public knew it was a movie. So they just think that he's a dork now and he's walking home and the entire like everybody on the streets is like that's spider-man what a menace he doesn't think ahead too big for his britches uh whatever jay jonah was right so jay jonah meanwhile is laughing maniacally because he was right and he's going to print all about that which makes peter unhappy because he goes by to pick up betty from work they're walking home and he sees flash and liz passing out flyers for this new fan club he tries to avoid them it doesn't work so Betty encounters Liz. Liz like goes out of her way to be kind of a jerk to Betty, which just infuriates Betty more, like insinuates that she's old and weird looking or something. I can't quite remember. Um, I guess Liz has finagled it so that her rich dad hosts the first meeting of ever at this hotel. And they also print in the flyer or the newspaper that Spider-Man is going to be there because apparently once he showed up for a charity at a circus. So basically if you print his name into any charity, he'll show up now. He's, it's he's kind of like saying uh, someone's name three times they show up. Yeah. He's established this precedent that if you say Spider-Man will be there, Spider-Man will be there. Um, meanwhile, Peter's spider sense goes off. This is kind of important because 
the Green Goblin, whose appearance we or whose real identity we still don't know, but we know that this brown-suited person is a Green Goblin, walks by, and he doesn't know why his spider sense is going crazy because everybody's walking by, and he doesn't know which person exactly is causing this alarm. But it's a real big alarm, and he's kind of distracted and not really paying attention as Betty's kind of like hinting, hey, you should invite me to come to the the Spider-Man thing. And he sort of brushes her off because he's busy being worried about you know, safety and stuff. And then he also doesn't invite her because he realizes I can't invite her because if she comes as my date, I have to be Spider-Man. So how's that going to work? So she thinks that he just doesn't want her. And of course he doesn't communicate that he's Spider-Man. So he tries to go find this mysterious person that's cutting off or making a Spider-Man sense go crazy. And he can't figure it out. Meanwhile, um, there's a business where Johnny Storm stops a robbery before Peter can. And, of course, everybody loves Johnny, and he's giving out autographs, and he even hands one to Peter, who's standing there looking jealous. Peter tries to trade it for a Spider-Man autograph for some kid, and the kid doesn't want it. <laughs> or the kid doesn't want the Spider-Man autograph. He wants the Human Torch autograph. So, yeah, Peter's really down on his luck and feeling not great because everybody hates Spider-Man right now. Um, then there's some shenanigans with oh, – this is kind of a dense plot, isn't it? There's some shenanigans with uh, Aunt May, again, wanting him to date uh, uh, that Mrs. Watson's niece. Yeah, uh, Mary Jane. Uh, Mary Jane. And then she he doesn't want to. He says, I'm, I'm you know, with a girl. But she just gums and gums her teeth and says she doesn't understand. He's a nice, she's a nice girl. But then she calls sick. And so he's like, oh, sorry. I hope she feels better and runs away. <laughs> so there's more of that. Um then we cut to the party or the big first day and it's like a big, uh, you know, I don't remember where it is, like at a ballroom at a hotel or a club or something like that. Um, apparently Liz is rich and her dad's richer. And um, uh, so Spider-Man's there and the Green Goblin's there and even Johnny Storm with his girlfriend is there as himself, you know, just to check it out because I guess it's exciting. And Spider-Man shows up and he does try and make it exciting. He puts the spotlight, his belt spotlight on the wall and everybody's like, yay, Spider-Man, you're the best. We're all your fans in a club. But immediately the Human Torch, or Human Torch, immediately the Green Goblin attacks. Um, Spider-Man, so as not to cause a panic, tries to make it seem like it's all part of the show. Rocketeer quote. But, uh, you know, Johnny kind of thinks something's up because he's a career superhero um but anyway yeah so they're fighting and everybody's like wow this is a really exciting show um 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 i can't remember this is what's weird so like hold on a sec which part well he turns back to peter part oh i remember he overhears this is so weird so in the middle of the fight he sees liz like looking around for Peter and getting suspicious. I don't even think she... Oh, yeah, she does. She says out loud, I never see Peter Parker and Spider-Man in the same place. And he hears this while they're fighting because that's something, you know, he has nothing else better to do. So now he's panicking and decides because the Human Torch at some point joins in or actually the Human Torch for some reason randomly sees three guys trying to rob the place while everybody's distracted. So he turns to the Human Torch to stop that instead of helping Spider-Man with the Green Goblin. But he gets in the way and then ends up helping him with the Green Goblin anyway. So that was kind of random. But Peter decides to turn back to Peter so he can prove Liz wrong and let Torch fight the Goblin. So he shows up and his hair's all messed up and everything. And so she's fixing his hair and then Betty, who's also there, and by the way, purposely 
didn't call him or called him after hours so he wouldn't answer and didn't get him to be the photographer that J. Jonah Jameson wanted him to be because she didn't want him there because Liz is going to be there. Oh, my gosh, the drama. So she sees him fixing – she sees Liz fixing Peter's hair and she freaks out now and he notices that she notices and, oh, my God. Meanwhile – Green Goblin is still fighting the torch and actually doing a pretty good job because he's got all these like anti-oxygen ghost thingies that he throws at him. Uh, Peter runs back, becomes Spider-Man. They fight some more. And then he overhears something else. He's really good at listening in this one. So he overhears uh, Liz's dad on the phone saying, what's that? You're looking for a guy named Peter Parker? His aunt is dying she's at the hospital well i'll try and find him hangs up so now he's freaked out about that so he doesn't even care anymore about the green goblin he runs out the entire fan club's like wow turns out spider-man's a coward and human torch kind of wraps up with the green goblin the green goblin has no interest in fighting the human torch so he sort of throws like sparkle pants fancy stuff at him and gets away because he blinds him um the whole place clears out upset with spider-man nobody likes spider-man except his good loyal fan flash thompson who's like i'm sure he had a good reason i don't know what it is but he's a hero damn it uh peter runs across the city doesn't even care that he's peter again he continues to use his powers because he just wants to get there as fast as possible he she's there she's not doing well there's a lot of scenes of him like you know, sitting in a chair looking sad and depressed. The doctor's like, you really should just hang around more because otherwise she's going to die if you're not there. So that just adds to the guilt. And he's like, gosh, this never happens to Superman. It really sucks to be me. He takes off a Spider-Man outfit, throws it against the wall like he never wants to see it again. And we end with him like holding his head in his hand, probably crying. Yeah, he he has basically stopped being Spider-Man. He's not going to be Spider-Man the next issue because he's too busy taking care of his aunt. And yeah, um, and, he doesn't explicitly say that, but you get the feeling that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So this we're going to talk about as we go forward. This is one of my favorite Spider-Man issues. Okay. Like of the twenty that I had, maybe of the whole Ditko run, this is like possibly my favorite issue. Um, it, it's just, it's got the teen shenanigans. It's got the um, the stuff with the torch, the Green Goblin looks fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. All of his gadgets are in full effect. Um, the drama with Aunt May at the end and running off to not be Spider-Man, take care of his aunt. Um, the stuff with the all the Betty and Veronica stuff with Betty and Vera, Liz Allen, mm-hmm. um, is just so on point. And it's handled so well without the like, it feels more real, though, than an Archie comic does, you know? Like mm-hmm. Archie Comics gets in shenanigans and the girls are angry and oh Archie, but it's just like it's just like a cartoon. This feels real, at least you know to six year old me reading it and to my memories as a forty year old man reading it. Right. Um. But let's uh let's start at the beginning. Um, okay. Do you remember when we read Tales to Astonish sixty? There was a Hulk panel I told you to keep in the back of your head. It Tales had, to Astonish sixty. Okay. Had Doctor Banner sitting at a table. And looming over him behind him was Hulk with like some stuff around like like uh, Ross's head and some other stuff. Uh, uh-huh. And the the uh, the composition of that is very similar oh. in, in, in like loose visual concept to this opening splash page. Oh, you mean literally the last one we read? Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so You're right. This is done better though, I think. But Yeah, yeah. It's bigger. It's better. But Dicko definitely had a motif going on in his head that month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Green, Green Goblin gets his glider right now. I didn't notice that until I was summarizing it just now. But last time we saw Green, Glo- Green Goblin, he had like a vacuum. 
Yeah, it was a flying broomstick. Now he has his proper yeah. glider. Now he has like a bat-shaped thing that looks so much cooler with like his legs strapped to the wings and mm-hmm. a head and all that. I like it. And you can imagine he can he can like maneuver that thing better with you know, arcing his you know weight on the wings and stuff. I like the I um, like he the has mis- all the little doodads that he puts in, which all get used really well in this issue. Uh huh. I'm sorry, we talked to each other. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I like that they they keep up with the uh, obviously they're gonna keep up with the mystery, but it's fun the way they do it. Like there's always just something in the way of his face, mm-hmm. you know, an open locker or whatever. And there's always that one shot of the mask hanging on the mask rack. Or whatever it is, the hat, right. the hat rack, and it's just very ominous and cool. And you're just like, who is this guy? And the scene later where he's like walking past reading a yeah, newspaper. Yeah, that like, is really cool too. Yeah, it just really teases the reader a lot. That's a great dynamic of Spidey's spider sense power is when it goes off, but he doesn't know why. Yeah, that happens often, which is cool. Like you can, you can imagine like other heroes, like, I don't know. Um, 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 Iron Man's walking around. He doesn't know someone's a villain, but, right. but Spidey knows, but it doesn't actually say, look out for dude in brown suit. It's just something dangerous is here. What is it? Or sometimes he even knows who it is, but he doesn't know why. Or he knows what direction danger is coming from. And he's able to move. Like there was that whole, like back in the hobgoblin days, uh, Ned Leeds was theoretically the hobgoblin and Ned's would make his spider sense go off every time they shook hands and stuff, but he didn't know why, you know? Oh yeah. So it's not like he could just punch him cause he's not doing anything wrong right now. He's just right. sitting there in the office dating Betty or whatever. And so, yeah, it's kind of a frustrating power, but also kind of useful. Um, he gets all these little doodads and he uses several of them in this issue, but I feel like a lot of these kind of go away. And the only thing that really sticks around is the pumpkin bomb. Yeah, I like the pumpkin bomb. I can't say I was into like the weird gelatinous ghosty things that created like airtight bubbles and I did like Dicko's art on that. Like the first you have the expanding uh-huh. ghost space, and then you have like all the little pairs of eyes as he throws more and more ghosts on it. <laughs> Kinda of reminded me of like a manga or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like a like a weird Dragon Ball Z power or something like that. Um and he's got smoke, which seems very uh, Green Goblin-y. But yeah, it's mostly the pumpkin bombs that really stick. That's his That's his claim to fame or his, you know, thematic weapon. And another cool thing about this that I didn't really key into as a young reader because it's more of an awareness I've gotten as an adult reader, fan clubs were definitely a thing, both in comics and in comic fandom, mm-hmm. to have fan clubs of your heroes. I mean, in the Superman comics, you had Superboy fan clubs, you had Lana Lang fan, uh, not Lana Lang, you had uh, Jimmy Olsen fan clubs, Lois Lane fan clubs, Superman fan, Supergirl fan clubs. Sure. And Star then, Trek, Star Wars. Right. And then in, sci-fi. In the, uh, in the letter column, people are always like, you know, we're starting a fan club over here. You know, send mm. us your letters or whatever. So the mm-hmm. idea that they're starting a fan club is, is, uh, is really neat. And of course, it's just, I don't know if ironic is the right word because I hate using that word because I don't know what it means. But um, it's just ironic that it's Flash Thompson that's spearheading the whole the entire thing. Yep. Do you think if Peter – I mean maybe you already know the answer. But do you think if Peter Parker at this point revealed to Flash that he was Spider-Man that he'd still be a Spider-Man fan? Which side is more powerful? His Spider-Man fanaticism or his hatred of Peter Parker? You know, I think if Peter and Flash could actually sit down and have an honest conversation about life. <laughs> <laughs> And they yeah. could both put their testosterone and their egos aside and just like yeah. you know, level with each other. Yeah. And if I agree. part of, if part of that were revealing that he's Spider Man, he's like, dude, so that's why, you know, mm-hmm. I'm distracted by stuff sometimes, or I'm not always involved in the in the reindeer games. 
is because they've got to be Spider-Man. And Flash is like, oh, that makes so much sense, dude. You know? Yeah. I think the fantastical abilities of Spider-Man would just outweigh his need to be a jerk. But yeah. yeah. Oh, well. We won't know for a while. I think they do find out eventually, right? Probably. Uh, well, Flash finds out with the unmasking with everybody else. Yeah. But then that doesn't stick. No. But we do, we do get some. We do get some conversations with them. Um Okay, the movie thing is fun because it's a totally believable dumb mistake. It's a movie thing. Were you interested in the movie scene? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It, I actually thought it was, like, cool that supervillains had straight-up crazy costumes. Like, they don't haven't really done a lot of that. But then it turned out it wasn't real. Yeah. It's the kind of thing, it's the kind of mistake where anybody could make. Mm-hmm. But since they're not the ones that made it, they're going to look down on and mock up the person who did make the mistake. It's kind of a trope, actually, and even, like, I was thinking, like, Lethal Weapon, they did that, you know? Uh, I'm sure there's other movies where, like, they think it's a crime, but it's not really. It's a movie, and they tackle somebody, and, hey, I'm just an actor. Right. Yeah. Um, Jonah is really rude to Peter. Well, well, Peter Parker, my demon photographer, I feel so glad I'm even glad to see you! Yeah. They've never been, like, great, I guess. Yeah, just... I, mean, I don't know, like, um, like Jay Jonah Jameson started out kind of a little complex, and then, like you pointed out, he sort of became like a one-note um, jerkhead. But then, like, the last couple issues, even though, like, he was sad about his paper, he also was worried about Betty and Aunt May being kidnapped and stuff and spent the entire issue trying to save them, which was mm-hmm. kind of cool. And now he's back to being kind of just one-note. But Oh, I just remembered, though, you mentioned um, he did – part Peter Parker did mess up the Craven photo op. Mm-hmm. When Craven was disembarking and Peter turned into Spider-Man, right? Yeah, and yeah. so maybe maybe he's still mad at him about that. But see, even that issue, there's another example of like him telling Craven, you know, it's illegal to like kill people, right? That, yeah, that seemed Until out of character. I did it in ten issues. <laughs> right, you gave me an idea. Uh, I don't know. He's probably just like high on being happy, and so rude is his second nature. Yeah, because he looks really happy in those two Ooh. panels. And we get a really nice Peter and Betty moment for, like, less mm-hmm. than five seconds. Yeah. Frickin' Liz, man. I don't know. Like, this issue, she kind of soured on me a little. I've been sort of in favor of him dating Liz, but I didn't like how, like, I think she tells Betty she he looks like she put on some weight. Yeah, she is very catty to Betty And Brown called Liz. her Miss Grant to make her sound feel old. Right. Yeah, I didn't like that. That was kind of juvenile. Messed up. But, but but the juvenility and the cattiness and the back and forth is all delightful. I love mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. It's fun. And and testament to Betty, she doesn't fight back, really. She gets right. mad. She doesn't get mad, but she doesn't lower herself to that level. Well, actually, she kind of gets sidelined in the scene. Like, you know, she's walk- Peter's walking with Betty. Mm-hmm. Liz calls his attention over. And then he's, like, wrapped up in a conversation with Betty and Flash. And Liz, I'm sorry, with Liz and Flash. And Betty's just kind of there. And then she's like, I think I'd like you to take me home now, Peter. Yeah, well, like, Liz walks right through her, essentially, and pushes a paper in front of Peter. So now he's reading that, and then his spider sense goes off, so it's, like, really bad timing, and nobody realizes that. But now he's just distracted by crazy danger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's just ignoring her, essentially. Um, poor Betty. Poor, poor, poor Betty. We get a better torch scene than a lot of what we've had in Strange Tales. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. I, I thought this was fun, like... Oh, there was a really other good moment, too, we can get to. But I like the part where, like, he hands Peter an autograph because he doesn't know he's Spider-Man. And uh, Peter tries to trade it. 
with the kid and the kid doesn't want a Spider-Man autograph. Right. But what's he going to do? Like, what if the kid did want a tray? Like, he doesn't actually have a Spider-Man autograph. He's just like, this is Spider-Man. Do you want to swap? What do you think yeah. I am, a nut? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, how does he know that's real anyway? Yeah. He got the no, genuine I'll t- I'll article. Spider-Man. Oh, just kidding. It actually is the torch. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So then the stuff with Mary Jane, continuing that little subplot. That's pretty much, I mean, I think in my future summaries, I'm just going to say insert Mary Jane subplot here because it's going to be the exact same thing every time. Right. Right. Is she always sick, though? Is that the excuse? Because if so, does she have like the plague or something or? Um, well, it's interesting that you asked that. Um, I feel like she was sick last time. Yeah, she was. It's not a coincidence that she is sick again. I don't want to get into it right okay. now. Um, Spoilers. Yeah. Okay. Pay attention to her sickness, kids, is what he's trying to tell you. Okay. Right. I really like this little triptych um, in the middle of page 11 of inside the fan club, Spider-Man getting ready to enter, mm-hmm. Green Goblin getting ready to attack, and it's just kind of like setting the scene, you know? Yeah, all the players getting into place, even Johnny and his girlfriend at the party. Jonah. Because we haven't and seen Dory in five years. Jonah and Betty and Flash and Liz and... Betty hating Liz and Liz hating Betty. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's all good setup. All good setup for big chaos that's to ensue right now. I said we haven't seen Dory in five years. She's actually been in like seven issues of Strange Shows, but I feel like she hardly ever matters. We talked about that last episode, so. Well, what, when did we last see her? See, I can't even tell you. I don't know. Yeah. Oh. Well, there was a the time that he and. Yeah, they went on the double date. The double date, right. Yeah, that was the last time. So that was like two Strange Tales ago. I think so. And they just went to the bathroom, essentially. Right. We get Seymour. He is one of the very few named classmates besides Flash and Liz. Okay. Um, So he has been officially retconned as appearing in several of the class crowd scenes. And he even gets an untold Tales of Spider-Man appearance as well. His name is Seymour O'Reilly in the indexes. But you and I both know his name is really Seymour Butts. Now, he looks just as nerdy, if not nerdier, than than uh, uh, Peter, and yet they're hanging out with him, so. Yeah, I don't know if he just, like, overdressed for the occasion or what. Well, his name is Seymour, too, so it sounds like they want him to be a nerd, but I don't know. Right, right. So one of the other uh, superpowers or new gadgets is that uh, Green Goblin throws frogs, and I'm just trying to think, like, so what is their idea that because he's a goblin – he is going to throw weird stuff like pumpkins and frogs and ghosts and I things. guess. I like guess. Weird Halloween witch-like paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what goblins traditionally throw at people, but... I've never, I've never met a goblin. I have never read much about goblin myth either. I'm sure every country has its own ideas, but... I've killed a lot of them in Final Fantasy. Well, there you go. Do they throw frogs at you? Not usually. They just stand there with their knives in the air. Okay. Oh, look, um, this is the first time he shoots out of his finger, too, right? Oh, his little sparks out of his finger? Yeah, I yeah. don't think we had so, those last time. So that's another thing he does often. This whole club scene, though, this whole club scene is fantastic. Like, it's from pretty fun. Page, from page 11 all the way to, like, page 20. It is just one one visual fest of art and drama and characters and all sorts of stuff. And comedy, too, because, like, some of the parts were, like, he has to turn to Peter to appease Liz hmm And so then that means Human Torch has to fight, and everybody wonders where Spider-Man went. That's pretty fun. Yeah, you, you're right. It is kind of random that Torch... Johnny sees the crooks... Okay, 
Johnny's already starting to get a bad feeling about the torch thing. He's starting to realize it's not just an act, but that's not why he torches out. He torches out because he sees crooks up in the ceiling. He just randomly sees the crooks up in the rafters, and that's why he turns into the torch. I feel like he could have just like slung some fireballs up there to stop them, because all he does is sling fireballs at them anyway. I feel like that is just unnecessary, this whole robbery business, because it did seem like Johnny was just on to the Green Goblin not being a show. Mm-hmm. And he could have just joined in, and I would have been fine with that, because why wouldn't you? Right. Um, so the idea that, I don't know, that only lasted two panels, and it was just a way to get him to come in, I guess, and get shot by Spiderweb, but it seemed kind of silly and unnecessary. Yeah, I feel like it is a bit contrived, but it does accomplish a few things. It gets him to be the torch without actually cramping Spider-Man's act. So Dory's mad at him because she's not wanting him to try to, you know, hog the spotlight and hog the mm-hmm. stage, which mm-hmm. is, you know, justified because that's exactly the sort of thing Torch might try to do. Um, so he gets to be the torch without doing that and then flying up to stop the crooks. He doesn't pay attention to what's going on. And he gets in the way of Spidey and the Green Goblin, which he might not have done if he was actually trying to help their fight. Yeah. Um, so it does a few things, but it is it is a lot of convenient elements coming together. Mm-hmm. But right now the torch is in the act. Spider-Man's like, oh, well, that gives me a chance to go down and be Peter Parker because Liz Allen's getting suspicious. Mm-hmm. And then that makes Betty jealous. Yeah. So it doesn't really help. Like he really just created more drama for himself because now she's crying. How come he didn't yep. invite? It's like she was okay with him not being there because A, she didn't want him around Liz and B, that meant that he didn't invite her because even he didn't come. Right. But now he's there and he's... Theoretically, there with Liz, who's running her fingers through his hair. So now it's like, wow, he didn't want me to be here because he didn't. He invited her, right? And he didn't realize Betty was going to be there. So it's oh like, yeah, because she's there for work. She's there for work. He didn't know she was going to be there for work because she never told him about it. So he goes there for <sighs> Liz, and then Betty sees him, and he sees her see him, and he's like, oh great! Wow, such good complication right there. Yeah, That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome Archie-esque shenanigans. Yeah. Meanwhile, Human Torch is getting smoke screened, but then Spider-Man joins in to help. That's mm-hmm. a really cool fight scene. I like that bit where like they're kind of swinging around each other, swirling around each other. Right. Um, but then, yeah, then he has to bail. Aunt May. Insert and, Aunt May health. And it's right after Green Goblin slugs him one. He slugs him mm-hmm. one. He falls to the ground. Well, he says, you miss me again. So I guess he's like flipping out of the punch. But it looks like he gets punched to the ground and he just runs off. To, everyone's mm-hmm. up, to everyone else's vi- uh, visual, he just runs off after getting punched to the ground. So it definitely looks like he's running out on it. I kind of wish this was the first time that Aunt May got sick because it would have been a little more powerful. But Right. This is like, what, the second? In, the second one, yeah. The big one in issue nine. Yeah. And now this one. Yeah. Um, we were talking about how Betty and Peter needed a win. From Betty's point of view, this is a pretty strong betrayal. Uh-huh. And, and he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know. Honestly, I'm going to go so far as to say they don't recover from this. Okay. This is the end. Yeah. Um, they... They wonder if something can work for a while after this, but there's going to be another element introduced in issue 20 that's going to throw a whole other monkey wrench in. And it's this is pretty much the beginning of the end. I like this bit on page 21 with um, Johnny and Dory. And she's like, underneath that silly old feud of yours, you really do like Spider-Man, don't you? He's like, yeah, I guess I do. Or I did, because he thinks he ran away too. Right. But I do like... 
I like that he admitted that he does like him. That was cool. It's a good scene for Torch and Spidey. It's also a good scene for Johnny and Dory. Mm-hmm. Johnny, I'm not angry anymore. I'm proud of you. I realize now you are needed as a human torch. Mm-hmm. Which I still contend her only reason for not liking the torch is whenever he's doing it to show off or showboat. She totally understands what being a superhero is. Yeah, and he does show off and showboat a lot, or used to. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah, he should get whatever. I don't know about you, but for some reason, I always love seeing Peter Parker be Spider-Man as Peter Parker. I don't know why. Like, when he's jumping from rooftop to rooftop in his Peter Parker look right. instead of Spider-Man or climbing up a wall with his suit on still something like that and so they, we get that in this because he's rushing home to Aunt May and he's changing at the same time and doesn't care if anybody can see him or not see him um, it's just cool I've always liked that it is good it is good yeah. um, I don't know how much early Spider-Man experience you have if I say the master planner arc do you know what I'm talking about no idea okay so there are two probably great trilogies in Ditko's run this is the beginning of the first one. Okay. Um, the second one is later down in the road. It's called the Master Planner Arc, which is sometimes hailed as like the highest moment of Ditko's run on Spidey. But honestly, between you and me and the hundreds of listeners, I like this one more. Okay. Um, so this is this is this is candy for me. I love that. This is the first. I mean, like I said, he doesn't explicitly explicitly say in this issue. I don't think that I quit, but you can pretty much tell that he's quit. Or yeah, and it's certainly it's, very unhappy. He's unhappy. Is this the price I have to always pay for being Spider-Man? You're right. It doesn't say here that he quits, but going in the next issue, he just doesn't have any time for Spider-Man. We'll see that when we get there. Uh, he can't be Spider-Man because he's taking care of his aunt. I mean, he takes his costume off and throws it against the wall like a hated enemy. So mm-hmm. you get the impression mm-hmm. that he's done. And since I guess I know my Spider-Man to some level, I know that he quits once in a while. That's one of his yeah. things. So yeah, this is, does. I guess, this is the first time that he's going to quit. Yup, yup, yup. Not, not that we don't epic have time. Not that epic time where he's on the cover quitting, but he's going to quit. What was that, 50 or something? And since we don't have a Spider-Man comic anymore, we should talk about the Avengers. Okay, yeah, let's move on. And you can summarize um, that, that fun one. Oh, yeah, that's my turn, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's a good one-ish. Yeah, ish. The Avengers number eight, Kang the Conqueror. This is Kang, destined to rank as one of the most unique villains of all time. And wait till you learn his surprising identity. Can you think of any one man whose power is greater than that of the Avengers? Don't answer that. Not until you meet Kang the Conqueror. See the mighty Avengers trapped. See the Teen Brigade in action. See action, drama, thrills as only Marvel can present them. Hooray! Yay! Okay. So we open up with the Avengers heading uh, because the Pentagon has requested them have an emergency meeting. So they're going to Avengers Mansion, Tony Stark's mansion. And hey, look, it's Captain America's turn to be the chairman because now we have chairmans. And uh, Captain America's like, okay, fine. We're not going to waste the time. Go in, have a meeting. Sit down. Let's go. So they go down. He uh, turns on the, uh, the, the visiscope and they're talking to the generals in the Pentagon who tell them that a spaceship landed. And it stood there for a long time until a mysterious form stepped out and said, Klaatu Barada Nikto. I mean, um, mm-hmm. said, uh, I, 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 I'm going to talk to the leaders of the world, so y'all should just go get them. And they're like, okay, call the Avengers. So the Avengers go out there and they see Kang with his big old purple bubble helmet and his blue face mask and his green something that he's wearing. It's, it's the sleeves are weird. They confuse me. Um, he's lounging on an invisible chair. It's like, Hey, you know, give it up. And Kang's like, you know what? You can't hurt me. They try to hurt him. It fails. 
So the army shows up, including the undersecretary from the Defense Department. And King's like, okay, fine. You know what? Since you're asking questions, I guess I'll just tell you the whole backstory. Okay, remember back in Fantastic Four 19? <laughs> They're like, no. So um, Fantastic Four went back in time and they met a pharaoh from the future, Rama Tut. And Ramatut was a time traveler, and when he left ancient Egypt to go back to his time of 3000, he overshot the mark and went into the far distant future of 4000. And he conquered 4000 until he was so bored being the ruler, he's like, I'm going to go conquer some land I haven't conquered yet. I know the 20th century. Um, so he uh, is like, now I'm here to conquer the 20th century. I'm going to be the ruler of the world. So there. And the Avengers like, yeah, we're going to stop you. And Kang's like, yeah, you're not. So um, he turns on this ray that like magnetizes them all into his ship. They all pass through like this energy field that turns Giant Man back to normal size, turns Thor into Don Blake, uh, messes up Iron Man's suit so he can't really function very well, and just kind of holds Captain America in place. Can't move. And uh, totally missed the Wasp. She was so small, the ray missed her. And Rick Jones is kind of standing there on the sidelines, so he didn't get pulled in either. So Rick Jones and the boss were like, okay, we've got to hatch a plan to save the Avengers. Meanwhile, the United Nations comes together to agree that, yes, we do need to do uh, an organized attack against Kang. Rick Jones gets his teen brigade. They're going to pretend to be loyal to Kang. Hey, Kang, we're loyal to you. Fine, that's great. Go look at my ship and learn how it works, because you're going to work for me now. So they go to a ship, they learn how it works, and they find um, something very important, um, an energy canister, and they bring it out to Kang because he wants it, but they accidentally drop it, accidentally drop it. Um, he's like, you fools, what are you doing? And they figure that distracts them long enough so they can sneak back onto the ship and find the energy beam turn-off switch. So they turn off the energy beam that's holding all the Avengers in place, Don Blake turns back into Thor. Giant Man turns back into Giant Man. Iron Man says, I can't move my heart. Uh, he doesn't actually say my heart. But Thor says, as Dr. Blake, I can tell it's his heart. Um, meanwhile, the Wasp has searched out Avengers Mansion and um, their own Giant Man Ant-Man headquarters to find a weapon to use against Kang. She finds one, so she and some flying ants carry it back to the attack site. The Avengers are fighting Kang. Kang's fighting the Avengers. J Wasp shows up with the weapon. Giant Man fires it at the wa uh, at, at Kang. Um, it's an acid gas that like melts his armor off of him because all of his gadgets are in his suit. He's like, "Fine, I'll do this to neutrino missile. It's gonna blow up everybody." And Iron Man says, "No, it's not because repulsors are cool." And Kang's like, "Fine. What about radiation? I'm gonna make my face glow." <laughs> he turns himself so radioactive. But um, Thor's hammer can control radiation. So his hammer um, absorbs the rays, hurls them back at Kang. Kang's like, oh no, radiation is bad. He runs onto his ship and flies away. And the Avengers like, whew, if he ever comes back, we'll be waiting. Sure hope he doesn't though. Over and over and over again. The end. Yep. But um, I, like, uh, uh, I like me some Kang. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if I love this issue, but I'm happy that he's in our lives now. Uh, that's basically how I feel, too. Like, I'm glad to have Kang here. I don't love his early appearances. 
like my love for Captain America comes from my mom giving me a Captain America action figure, Secret Wars action figure. Mm-hmm. And that, that same year and that same Easter basket was my brother's toy that she got him and it was King. <laughs> and I don't know why it was King. I don't think she understood the difference between who was a superhero or not or whatever. Uh, so, but that's, I don't know. King reminds me of my childhood a little bit because my brother had a King action figure. And it's like, who the heck's this guy? I don't know. I think my first experience with Kang was when we were first getting into fan, into comics collecting. Um, Fantastic Four annual was part of a Citizen Kang crossover. Mm. And in the backup annual of those annuals, they had like um, a sort of try to put all the continuity of Kang into some sort of semblance of reasonable order. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... I think we got that issue because Captain America was also part of that crossover. I don't know. But um, I got the idea of Kang, and I have always, always been a sucker for good time travel stories. Yeah, same here. And so it kind of triggered my funny bone there. Also, Kang does appear in the Infinity War, which was my first big Marvel crossover that I read. It's funny. We both like time travel stories, but at the same time, they cause so much grief. So I don't know why we like them, but we do like them. Um, this actually, he reminds me, he, I feel like he's one of many kinds of these characters. Like I bet DC in particular had a bunch of characters that came from the future. So therefore they had a lot of powers. Um, you know, flash comes to mind. I'm sure Superman had his share. Even Thor has had the tomorrow man that we've covered. Uh huh. Uh, it's kind of the same idea. If you come from the future, you've got cooler gadgets and you're like godlike and a threat. And for some reason you're always evil. Well, nice people in the future are just happy to stay there. I guess so. Yeah. I do like that they tied him into a character they've already established, though. That made it a little more interesting. Well, it's kind of like the uh, the Tales of Suspense issue from last episode. This is the first time that I've read these three stories in rapid succession. Uh-huh. Because we have Fantastic Four 19, Fantastic Four Annual 2, and The Avengers number 8. And yes. it's definitely clear that this story was done with the uh, recent annual two in mind, just like the Tales of Suspense story was done with the recent uh, Sinister Six story in mind. Yeah. And so now we, we've we've uh, consolidated some time travel villainy. You know, instead of two, now we have this one guy who's that turns out to be the same guy. And I also like that he's from he's already from a future, but then he accidentally goes to a future future. Right, the wrong future. The future for himself, which is where he gets this bonkers look, because everybody looks bonkers in the year 4000, I think he goes to. Yeah. Um, and comes back with even more godlike power, because he didn't want to rule there, because there everything was just junk and scrap and people were stupid. So he wants to come back to a time when there's cable television and rule the world. I do like a smaller purple bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, like, his blue mask is the right size for a face. Mm-hmm. But he's got this big purple helmet around it that's like like a, like a early 20th century underwater explorer kind of yeah. I've always uh, liked I've always liked his look, though. I don't know where, what, Kirk, what inspired Kirby to do the whole blue face with the lines and the mouth and stuff, but it's just cool. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. cool. Once the helmet gets down to a more normal size, I really like it. Yeah. You're probably right. It's probably inspired by a scuba diver thing. I never thought about that. Oh, yeah, because with the lines and the grill and everything, you're right. Yeah, even the even the shoulder kind of looks like the old oh. old, the old time, you know, the, the real big ones that they used to put on that had yes, the hose coming exactly out of the head. that's exactly what's inspiring his look. Jack yeah. Kirby saw a scuba diver, not a scuba diver, but like an underwater explorer, and it's like, I can turn that into a costume. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay, probably anyway. It's cool. So... 
I was surprised because I saw them talking about how Captain America was going to be chairman. And I was like, okay, well, who's the last chairman? They say, and don't I, they? I don't remember. Well, I was, did a lot of looking. Uh-huh. This is the first time we've had the chairman get mentioned. Oh. Well, that's actually important because Avengers love their chairman, so. They do. Giant Man was chairman of the previous meeting, possibly the meeting where Iron Man was banned from Avengering. Mm. That, fakes, now it's that makes turn. sense. Because if someone else was leader, that wouldn't have happened. Right. Um, um, I do love that someone says, don't you think it's weird that we have alternating leadership? <laughs> yeah, it probably is, but we haven't dealt with it yet. Right. It's also a clever way to like make it. Like to communicate it, and I love that you you like you give Captain America, World War II veteran, like you're going to lead this meeting, and the meeting is basically like listening to the Pentagon. So it really doesn't need a leader per se. You all can't just sit down at the table and freaking listen. But they got Cap like ordering Thor to to you know activate the accelerator and press this button and stuff because he's the leader. So he's got to make that happen. Yeah, he's also like, what are we waiting for? Every moment may be vitally important. Let's go inside and get started. Be sure Hold to scrum. Be sure to scramble the control. Press right. this button. Turn on that frequency. I'm the leader. Click. Got it, Cap. Mm-hmm. A little overkill. Um, so page, what is it? I think it's page five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, page five, when they go to fight Kang, Wasp is like, I'll bet he's not bad looking into that silly headgear he's wearing. Oh, Wasp. Yeah. You, you just I love wanna, every boy. I want to hear her say that about Dr. Doom. Yeah, except you can see Dr. Doom's burn stuff in his eyeballs sometimes, can't you? I guess. I don't know. They notice they take a DC-8 to... Do they say where this is? I forget. Uh, where does he land? Does it say? So it's towards Virginia. Okay, so he's not in New York, so they do have to take a plane to get there. I guess they don't still don't have their own thing yet, because before they took a helicopter with an A painted on it, and now they're taking a DC-8, which I assume is a real thing. I didn't look it up, though. Sorry. Yeah, especially um, the dispatch DC. So I guess the Pentagon military sent them a military jet. Yeah. So it'll be nice when they finally get, like, you know, their own thing going, but... Right. Well, they, they wrecked their helicopter, if I remember right. That's true. They did, because Giant Man picked it up and used it as a, right. a fan Use or something. Weapon. Right. Yeah. Um, I like to think that Ramatut was inspired by Dr. Doom to make a gadget suit, because he's got all these gadgets in his suit now. Uh-huh. Um, it's a fun fight, kind of. I mean, he's basically just omnipotent, which in, I guess in a way is kind of not fun, but it's neat to see the Avengers, like, just having no chance for a little while. They totally get it handed to them. Yes. Um, which has been kind of rare because usually at least Thor is like the Superman of the scene and is unstoppable. But even he can't do anything. Yeah, he throws his hammer at him and he's like, okay, your hammer's going to be over there now. He nightcrawlers his hammer. Basically, yeah. So did you think that this guy, maybe I'm skipping ahead and if I am, let me know. But did you think that the guy, um, the undersecretary from the Defense Department, exclamation point, was going to go somewhere? Or was that just me? It seemed very important, and then nothing happened with him. Yeah, I guess it's because the Pen- they said, bring your national leaders out. Mm-hmm. The Pentagon is responding. It only makes sense that someone from the government would actually show up. Mm-hmm. So I actually looked this guy up. Okay. Because this is what I do whenever I get inspired to do something. So under secretary from the Defense Department, um, in 1964, that was actually called the Deputy Secretary of Defense. That used to be called the Undersecretary, but they changed the name. At this time, it was Cyrus Vance. Uh-huh. Cyrus Vance had been the Secretary of the Army until earlier this year, and then he was made Secretary Undersecretary of, or sorry, Dep- Deputy Secretary of Defense, and he would stay in this post for a while. And eventually, down the road, he's going to be Secretary of State under Jimmy Carter. Okay. So and he actually so, has, you know, a kind of significant career later. And is that supposed to be this guy? 
doesn't look a whole lot like him, but like okay. it, it, it would kind of have to be him. Because that then that must be why I have a sense like he's important because they make it seem like he's important, and yeah. so is, he's either important because they're doing uh, you know a drawing of John F. Kennedy, or he's important because he's going to play out in the story, and he doesn't play out. So I guess it's because he's supposed to be a real person. He's the number two person in the Defense Department. Well, there you go. I was like thinking maybe like they're going to reveal that he's also Kang or related to Kang <laughs> or something, but it didn't go that way. I thought he was going to be Tony Stark, but then I realized that didn't oh. make sense because Iron Man's there. Right, right. Because he yeah. kind of has a mustache going on there. Like he's, he's, he's Doctor Strange. It's just not colored quite right. He is Doctor Strange. You're right. Um, um, they say that Kang is a weird name, and I'm like, it probably wouldn't sound strange to Klingons. No. Does it say why he calls himself Kang? No, he just that's the name he picked Maybe in the far future. I imagine that's not his real name. And we know Ramatut's no. not his real name. No, his real name is something Richards, I think. Oh, right. Reed Richards the Fourth or something. Something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. They get beat up. Um, I like the bits where, although I kind of don't and kind of do, but remember that, that one issue where they fought the Lava Men and Thor, a one in a billion chance, turns back to Donald Blake? Yeah. And I was cool with that because it said one in a billion, so they're not going to do it again. But now they did it again. And I'm thinking, oh, God, don't do this all the time because I'm not going to like it. He gets right. he gets sucked into that prison energy thing, and that somehow turns him to Donald Blake. That's annoying. So we know that there's some way to physically trigger the magic and physically trigger the change. Mm-hmm. They should not be able to happen upon that very, co- very often, but they've done it again here. Yeah, it's just a way to depower him, I guess, and, and explain why right. he's not just punching through the wall. But I do like that Iron Man suffers the most. Not not that sounds mean, but I just meant like it's an it's an extra bit of drama that Iron Man actually needs his armor to function, or or he's going to have a heart attack sitting here waiting. I did like how Cap was trying to science on page nine while they were still fighting. He's like, "Watch it, big fella. His suit's beginning to hum. It must contain some sort of electric <laughs> impulses. It seems to be running on some form of electricity." yeah you're you're not wrong you're not wrong (laughs) um oh also hank triggers jan's change again so that's still happening how many issues how many stories now like has she not asked him to stop it i don't know because she does it on her own later oh she does you're right okay so she can also do it or is she taking the pill still Probably, yes. That would be the wise thing to do. <laughs> but also, I think she's still using pills to change size. <laughs> yeah. So that's no good. She doesn't get her cool, like, thought change like he can. No, I, I wonder when he's going to do this. Okay, side note. Side note. Um, I've mentioned a couple times on uh, that Marvel fans Facebook group about her being changing in size by Hank. Mm-hmm. Like Hank's the one changing her. And everyone's like, I don't remember that happening. When was this? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, there's not a whole lot of attention called to it. If you breezed past the caption box, she just looks like she's changing size. And it's one of those things that it's really easy to forget that there was this era where Hank was always controlling Jan's size for her. Mm-hmm. So people forget this, that it happened, which is why whenever I showed the panels of Dr. Strange saying, huh, wow, it's weird that he was Asian when he started. And people were like, he was never Asian. I don't remember that. Blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Anyways, people yeah. don't remember stuff. There, I mean, we're not going to remember um, Green Goblin's frog bomb either. But it's like, 
you know, these things are just introduced and a lot of it sticks and some of it doesn't. And I think if you had a stack of 100 Avengers comics and you're just going to blow through them in one sitting, which is not what we do. We critically examine all these little panels and talk about it and take four episodes to get through a month. So we're hyper aware of it. I think I'd, I'd forget, too, if I was just reading a lot of Avengers. Although I do have to say that frog bomb that, like, snips his, his web mm-hmm. reminded me of the episode of Super Silly Sentai that Keen and I recorded today because Iron Comb Mask... Uh, was killed. They 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 shot a turtle at him, and the turtle bit him on the face, and then exploded his face. That's how you do it. And I loved it. It was great. Um, they have this attack. They they shoot this volleyball bomb thing at the bad guy, and in the last couple episodes, it's been turning into some sort of like animal themed attack. Mm-hmm. Like there was a mole that came up under the guy's foot and like exploded him up from underneath. And there's another turtle that bites him on the face. I don't know what the next one's going to be, but I'll keep you informed. All right. Anyways. So, um, wasp and Rick Jones. So what do you think of that? Like, are you, do we think it's cool that she got to save the day kind of, or do we feel like she still gets sidelined because she needed Rick's help and she didn't really save the day that much. And she was That's also exactly the way I was torn. And she like, was also not captured I'm happy because she's to see a girl. Wasp taking charge. Right. Yeah. She's sidelined with the sidekicks. Mm-hmm. And that's not cool. No. But without her, well, actually without Rick. See, that's the thing. Rick also does the harder job. He frees them. Mm-hmm. She just brings a gun. Like I like to think that she came up with the plan though. I'd like to think that too, but we don't know that. So yeah, they're just not giving her her glory. She's a member of the freaking Avengers, not a sidekick of the Avengers. Yeah. Rick says we can't do it alone. We need a plan. Um, And so I like to think that's whenever Wasp says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You get the 18 Brigade. And she lays it all out and he complies. Um, That's just how I'm going to choose to read it. But wouldn't you think, like, I'm the Wasp and I can turn really small. So I'm the ninja of the group. Like, can't I free the Avengers? And, And you, Rick Jones, who have no powers, can't you go back to the house and get that freaking gun that I'm going to tell you about? Here's the code to open the door. You are not wrong, sir. I don't know. It just seems like a backwards assignment. Why is the Team Brigade encountering King? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, speaking of Team Brigade, we still don't They're know who they thing. are. They're a thing. Rick Joe. Oh, they call him Rick whatever again, by the way. Rick Brown, yeah. Rick Brown, because they keep forgetting. But we don't know anything about the Team Brigade or still really care about them. It's kind of weird. I thought we'd care more. They only show up occasionally until they don't anymore. Mm-hmm. But I've heard, like, you know, as a you know lifelong Marvel collector and stuff, you've heard of the Team Brigade. And so for some right. reason in my brain, I thought there was probably many issues of Team Brigade in the 60s where we got to know them and stuff. And we don't. No. It's weird. I think it's because they're in that first issue, they get immortalized. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's, you know, the first issue fever. You're going to remember that first issue really well. I guess so. Uh, okay. So page 14 Kang tells the kids, all right, I want you to bring me something from the ship. My voice will direct you to it. This is my wife asking the kids to bring her a soda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and does it ever work, by the way? Oh, yeah. The kids bring her sodas all the time. Oh, okay. Because usually when my wife says, can you get me my scissors that are in the office on the desk to the left, they're blue scissors. They come back going, what color? What desk? What room? Yeah, if it gets too complicated, yeah, it doesn't work out. Yeah, but I like that he's just like they're like, "Hey, we realize that you're gonna win, so we want to work for you." And he's just like, "Good, you're now my slaves in my ship," and he just sucks them all in there. Right, like that's like, very like, trusting. 
very trusting and it totally, you know, bites him in the butt. Yeah. Um, so she says that she's going to go to Avengers Mansion to find a weapon. But then we see her at the well-stocked lab of biochemist Henry Pym, which, by the way, in my mind, looks exactly like it did in Avengers Endgame in the, in the 1970s flashback. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that's, that's exactly how I visualize his lab. Um, so my reconciliation of those two scenes is that she searched Avengers Mansion, couldn't find anything appropriate, went home and kept searching for more. So she's resourceful, and it helps explain why it takes her so long to get back. And she doesn't she find a gun, or am I thinking of something else? She finds a gun that's like like the original invention was Tony's, and then Hank improved on it. So it's like a gun that two Avengers have built, which is kind of neat. Yeah, it is neat. It's exactly right. Tony Stark designed it, um, and Mr. High Pockets himself spent weeks modifying it to meet his own specifications. Yeah. So speaking, speaking of Tony, I don't know if there's any repercussions to this, but they now know that or at least Thor suspects that he has some sort of problem. Yes. I don't, and they don't They don't follow up on this issue, but maybe later they'll be like, hey, remember that time you collapsed? Right. What was that about? It's interesting because Tony Stark and Don Blake are the first Avengers to confess to knowing each other's identities. Okay. It's way down the road, but it's little stuff like this that you can think, oh, that might be how they figured it out. Mm-hmm. Now, it's retconned that at this point, Ant-Man has seen Iron Man without his mask. Ant-Man knows that Iron Man is Tony Stark, and he's just keeping it under his lid. Okay. Um, but as far as p- publication order, Iron Man and Thor are the first ones to realize they know each other. Awesome. Although, you know, nobody knows that Tony has a heart condition either, so it's not... He does nec- keep that secret, doesn't he? It's not necessarily, you know, connecting the dots yet, but at least it's causing suspicion. Hmm. Because right now, if Iron Man's... Tony's bodyguard, you would think that they would all assume he's like a military person or something. Right. And so a guy with a heart condition, maybe that Couldn't puts you, I don't know. Yeah, no. We'll see what happens. I forgot that Tony's heart condition was a secret still. You're right. Um, okay. So we need to pause for a second and talk about this last attack. Okay. Because evidently Kang has a random trip laser outside his ship that can be triggered by anything passing by. And it will release a missile that kills everyone. All he does is wave his hand in the air to trip this laser. Yeah, and he's not even like, it's not like he's even Giant Man or something. Like, anybody no. is this tall. So, that's scary. If anybody had just walked through that space, neutrino missile time, boosh, you're dead. That is kind of silly. Especially since they could have done anything else, like press a button on his belt, which is what it looks like he's doing the panel prior. Right. So, maybe just words and visuals weren't working here or something. Oh, yeah. He could have been pushing his button on his belt and then using a device on his hand to target. I don't know. Or maybe the button activates the trip laser because that's overly complicated. And then he waves his hand instead of just pressing the button. I don't know. I'll tell you what I do like, though. I like that Thor goes off on him with his hammer and hits him so hard over and over and over again that at some point, finally, this impossible-to-get-through shield flickers just enough for them to shoot the acid and get through it. That was pretty That neat. was very cool. That was pretty neat, I thought. But yeah, but uh, and I like how raggedy looks too. Like that really hurt. That one shot. Yeah, got him good. So he's he's got to go lick his wounds. Mm-hmm. Again, Stanley does not actually understand atomic energy. No, he's, I, he's just yeah. using words he's heard before. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand magnetism, or I'm not even sure he knows what a neutrino missile is. And I'm saying all this like I do, and you know I don't necessarily either, but I don't write any of this stuff. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. 
And the radiation thing in the end didn't feel right either, kind of. No, no, it didn't. Mm. Like, I don't know. Yeah, what's he going to do? Just walk around killing everybody with radiation slowly? Weird. But Kang is fun. This yeah. is not the best Kang story. And really, mm-hmm. the first few Kang stories are not the best Kang stories. But I like the fact that we have Kang. Yeah, I like the fact that our team's team books are getting more villains. Classic villains. Yeah, more like stick around, become a big bad thing villains. If only the X-Men would do something besides Magneto. But we'll get there. If only the Fantastic Four had a really awesome villain. <sighs> if only Fantastic Four had that one villain who didn't show up three times that we're going to talk about again right now. Right. Because I have got to say, I'm not really a fan, but let's try and be positive. Fantastic Four number 31. We have read 31 Fantastic Four issues. Dun, dun, dun. The only book we can say that about. Um, never mind how great the story is. Eh, just take a look at our swinging title, The Mad Menace of the Macabre, Macabre Mole Man. Um, the Chupacabra Mole Man. He um, <laughs> looks like Chupacabra. <laughs> okay. So it's written by Stan Lee, the man with the talented typewriter. Illustrated by Jack Kirby, the man with the power-packed pencil. Inked by Shick Stone, the man with the panoramic paintbrush. And lettered by Sam Rosen, the man with the leaky lettering pen. It starts out with an earthquake. What? Are they in California? No, they're actually in New York. There's never been an earthquake before. I know, so this must be something different. So after they spend some... Jack Kirby shenanigans like making sure the place doesn't fall apart too bad um, and pull the thing out of the bathtub. They go to investigate. Before that happens, Sue's walking by, sees a paper on the floor, and it's headline, Daring Escape from State Prison. And it shows a picture. And she kind of gets introverted, you know, maybe wigs out a little bit. And Reed's like, what's wrong? She's like, you know what? You guys go investigate without me. I got to sit here and look angsty. And his thought bubble's like, oh, my God, she loves that guy more than me. Anyway, so they go investigate without her, and they find out that there's a street missing. So they try and go down, um, you know, wherever the – there's a hole now where a street used to be. And they try and go down as far as they can, and even the Human Torch can't make it to the bottom. He hits some ice, so they come back up. Um, Mr. Fantastic says, if I know our villains, I think I know who this is. Um, and they go back. And while they're going back – it cuts to the villain that it is, because guess what? It's the Mole Man, the only subterranean villain they have that I can think of. Um, and he has one of his cool magical machines that make no sense. And it's targeting the invisible girl, who happens to not be with them, of course, as we just established. So she's walking to, I can't remember where, like the prison or shopping or something. She's on a different street. And so he kidnaps that street because he wants to kidnap her. So they get home. They don't find her. There's a message. I can't remember if they even read it because whatever. Uh, meanwhile, the street comes crashing down to the subterranean world below. All the people are panicking. Um, Mole Man instructs his, you know, mole lights or whatever they are to snatch up the invisible girl, which they can do because they can't see anyway. So her powers are kind of useless around them. They smell and hear and stuff. Um he then contacts the Fantastic Four and says, I have your woman, so therefore you will do nothing to attack me, which of course backfires because they're like, no, we want our woman back. So they get in their subterranean helicopter gizmo thing and try and get down there. They go through a bunch of, you know, Dr. Octopus types, arms and missiles and various stuff to try and make it down. They crash. They kind of get knocked out except for the thing and he sort of, 
Eh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, they finally encounter Mole Man. He's sitting there on the street because now there's a street down there because he kidnapped a street. Um, and he's like, listen, I'm going to shoot your girl in the head if you don't go back up to the surface and prevent anyone from coming down this hole to stop me. So they're like, we have to do it. And uh, so they go up. And guess who's there? Because they're in every issue now. Is the Avengers. And the Avengers try and go down there to stop it. But the Fantastic Four stop them and say, no, you don't understand. They have our girl. And Thor's like, okay, fine. You know what? We'll give you 24 hours. And then we're coming back here because we can't have this in New York. This is our hometown, you know? So then I can't remember exactly. But, uh, oh, Reed invents this device that allows him to scan the street on the surface and locate exactly where Invisible Girl is being held captive. And then Human Torch digs directly down there and Reed and Thing follow on a cool, like, uh, roller coaster machine thing that he invented. Mm-hmm. Um, they get attacked, but the Human Torch has already freed his sister. She now uses her visible stuff to push the molites around. Um, at some point, there's some sort of Zeta rays that are shooting at them, and the Human Torch uses his torchy powers to have the Zeta rays like attack him instead. I guess Zeta rays are attracted to heat or something. I don't really get that. Um, the thing is beating up a lot of people. They escape, but the Zeta rays like or Johnny shoots where the Zeta rays are coming out of, and it makes everything explode, and they think they're okay. They think that they all shielded themselves, and they're going back to the surface, but they realize that something hit Sue. One piece of debris, like, hit her in the head. Um, So they immediately rush her to the hospital. She's touch and go. She's probably not going to make it. There's Reed is, like, pleading with the doctor to try. I'll give you money. I'll give you patents. I'll give you anything. And he's like, there's only one person in the world who could have done this surgery to save her life who was it it doesn't matter he's not here and then he shows up um it's the guy from the paper and it turns out it's johnny and sue's dad because johnny recognizes him and says dad so they go over there um he's like yeah i've been in prison and stuff and i or i guess johnny was under the impression that his dad was dead um but he's like no i was just in prison i didn't want you to feel bad so you know, we told we told you that I was dead so you'd feel bad. Um, but I escaped and I was getting away with it, too. But then I saw, like, that she was hurt. And so I had to come and do the operation. And he does the operation. And it's a success. And as soon as he comes out, there's, like, the FBI and the police that are waiting to arrest him. And he's like, yeah, I knew you'd get me. But I just could not save my daughter. And he's like, can I have five seconds with her? And he and Johnny go in there and, like, kind of hang out. And while Reed and Thing watch from a distance. And then it promises more unexpected events next issue. The end. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is the Mole Man. Uh-huh. And it's also Johnny's and Sue's dad, which is, you know. Way more interesting. Right, right. <laughs> um, it was weird to me because the last time we saw Mole Man was issue 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when Sue first learned to use her power, her force fields. Right. Um, Molly lured them to an island by faking a lot of complaints about their equipment being stored in a residential building. He also faked an island for sale ad to get them out there. And he was planning on sinking major cities all over the world to trigger a surface war. Right. But Reed rigged Molly's equipment to sink his own island and they escaped. So when I when cities start disappearing, Reed Richards is the only one who's like, oh, that sounds like that one time that the Mole Man said that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> well, he is the smart one of the group. I guess so. 
I actually think that is kind of, I still am not sure what Mole Man is trying to do in this issue. Exactly. Because other than taking her hostage and telling the FF to make sure nobody interferes, he doesn't seem to have any master plan in particular, does he? Unless it's the same plan as last time and they just don't reiterate it. I guess. He's His so idea like, before ugh. was that he, if, he, if he made cities disappear, then the different powers would think it was each other and they would blow each other up in a war. Yeah, that's true. So maybe he wants to do that again. Um, but it also seems like he's just really trying to capture Susan Storm because she's the one on that city block. And you, he's oh, like, yeah. my heightened radar senses say that, you know. Oh. Um, she's crossing a street, entering a building. He knows exactly. She was going to police headquarters to talk about her dad. He knows exactly who he's getting. It's a horrible plan. So he's going to conquer the surface world, and he just has Sue Storm as a hostage. The Fantastic Four won't bother him. Which is bonkers. Of course they're going to bother him. Haven't they seen the 75 other times that Sue Storm's been captured? <laughs> right. How would they not? I mean, I guess if he wants to use them to, as his as a tool, like that kind of worked. They sort of stopped the Avengers from interfering. But they're not going to leave you alone if you have one of their members, I don't think. I don't know. I don't get that. It's weird. Yeah. Um, it, it's always Sue is, is the problem, too, mm-hmm. because it's not that Johnny gets captured sometimes and Reed gets captured sometimes and Ben gets captured sometimes. No, it's always Sue. Pretty much 99% of the time. I think with Red Ghost, they did capture Johnny in an airtight bag or something. But otherwise, it's always Sue. And what I really hate about this is, like, he's got a gun to her head, and I'm just thinking, so? And then at some point, they do address that, and they're like, well, how come she just doesn't use her shield and kill him? And he's like, oh, because the Mole Man is smart enough to come up with a reason for her not to do that. But no, they, don't really, that. they don't really say what. So I just call baloney on that. Cause, and then later in the fight, she's using her force field left and right, knocking out moloids. Yes. So I think they just forgot that she had force fields for the first half of the issue or just uh-huh. tried to pretend that the reader wouldn't think about it. Yeah. And then they covered it up with dialogue. Right. So they sort of put the lampshade on it and said, see, since we know it's not there and we're mentioning it, that means it's believable. Yeah. No. Yeah. I do like, I mean, I hate, I kind of just, one of the things I don't like about the moment is this technology is like, where is this coming from and how is he doing it? And why is mm-hmm. it working? I don't like any of that. Like, none of it should work. I don't get how he invents it. I don't get where he gets the money or the budget to make it. Um, but I will say it was kind of neat to see, like, a street full of people captured. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and they're all just down there in the Mole Kingdom. Like, you know, what the heck's yeah. going on? But did they get freed or are they dead? Oh, at the end? I don't remember them being taken care of. I they feel taken like, the street back up? I feel like... Johnny just blew everything up and the FF left and all those people are still down there. Oh, no, no. Page 19. They do levitate the street back up. It's right before Johnny blows everything up. Okay. That was just such a one panel whatever. I guess that was an easy solution, I suppose. Yeah. Reed gets the the levers and starts pulling levers and makes it all happen. Okay. Good. Um, Hey, look, the Avengers. Again. Yeah. They're really loving to plug the Avengers, aren't they? Although I do appreciate that when a street in New York disappears, that multiple parties get involved. That is actually pretty cool. It's mm-hmm. like, this is not good. We're going to have multiple superhero teams show up. Now, it's not a mutant menace. Cerebro's not going off, so Scott's not sending the X-Men after it. Mm-hmm. But the Fantastic Four and the Avengers both show up. Yeah. And they do that in other time. Like, sometimes they'll just have, like, references to Spider-Man noticing, at least, or something. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. to make it world-building. But, yeah. 
is a quick like you know Avengers of course not listening and being buttheads and a little fight and that's it. And they rescue Sue, and she's like, "Honey, you just rescued me. Why do you look so sad?" He's like, "It's just that picture in that paper. Why were you freaking <sighs> out?" And I'm like, "Read really now? This you're gonna bring that up now?" <laughs> He's so secure. Uh, Reed Richards, like, who I, are you? As soon as I saw that panel of her looking at the newspaper, I knew there was going to be a thought bubble of him wondering if she loves somebody else. Loves some old mustached man who's old enough to be her father? That says, like, on the headline, escape from prison. Escape from prison. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's going to love him more than me. Do you have some dark secret in your past that you love this escape prisoner? Mr. Insecure, you, maybe. You've known her since she was 12, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you know who it was before you finished the issue? Yeah, I, I guess I didn't know. No, but okay. But I, I knew that there something about their parents had to be happening sooner than later. So that looked like a dad to me. Okay. And what else would make her so upset? Right. And I remembered it was her dad. I did not remember the whole thing about him faking his death. So whenever she doesn't say anything to Johnny, I'm like, Sue, what are you doing? Right, oh, Sue? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they, they haven't really explained anything about their parents. No, in fact, they said something that was kind of weird because I thought my impressions there were that it was different, but Reed says he always assumed they were orphans. Mm. So he never knew them when they were young enough to be living with parents, even, except that... Even when they live next door? Yeah, he they live next door to him as kids, so I don't know what's up with that. Adopted? Foster? I don't know. Maybe. But if they're living with parents, you'd assume they're the parents, right? It made me like, like the cynic in me was like, geez, Johnny, don't, don't jump and hug so fast. You know, like you thought your dad was dead. He's been lying to you this whole time. He's been in prison and you're just like, dad, I love you and jumps on him. Mm -hmm. But it also made my soul cry a little bit because it's like, he just needs a dad. He just needs his dad. Yeah. That was kind of such a jerk if he had his dad around more. Yeah, maybe. Or mom. Yeah. And we really don't get a lot of shape to like when and how this all went down. Like I, I assume they're going to tell us more. I hope we get more next issue because Be- I know I know that this guy continues next issue. Okay, he has to because they set it up like I know I was in prison, but I can't tell you why right now. So it's like if they never address this again, that's a really bad thing. I love at the end, cops like, um, yeah, I can't really let you go in there. It's against regulations and. The man in blue pajamas says, I'll assume the responsibility, Inspector. Well, in that case... Well, I mean, they are the Fantastic Four. They are the Fantastic Four. This is true. They are the world's premium superhero, pre primo superhero team. And officially, as of our Twitter feed, the most popular superhero in 1964. Superhero team. Right. In 1964. By a landslide, people. You guys love your FF. Spider-Man's the most famous series. Fantastic Four is the most, not most famous, most popular and loved series in 1964. Fantastic Four is the most beloved team in 1964. Yeah. Which I kind of figured it would be, but I actually thought it'd be closer. I thought the X-Men people would, would, you know. Get in there. Rally or something. But I think they came in third. Yeah, it was 1964. I mean. Yeah. I actually agree with the results, kind of, but. Fast forward ten or fifteen years, and you know, uh, all right. Okay, every ten every ten years we cover, we'll do another poll or something. Yeah, yeah. You you, you let me know <laughs> how I'm going to fit twenty eight teams on a four limit poll. I don't know, but figure something right. out. Figure something out. Let me know when we get another ten years of comics under our belt. God, <laughs> oh that too. Yeah. 
Maybe, right. maybe every year. Okay. So does that wrap up our Fantastic Four 31? It does. And it also wraps up our month, right? Woohoo, it does. We are done with July. Oh, shoot. That means we have to do our thing. We have to do our thing. And I actually thought about this one ahead of time this time. Okay. I remembered to be a good podcaster. So you're ready to go. So yeah, you, you, can, so. you can recap while I think, I guess. Okay, let me bring up the, the, the page here. Um, Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. The newsstand feature, Marvel Comics, on sale in July 1964. Sort by publication date. We have Fantastic Four Annual 2, featuring the history and final victory of Doctor Doom. We have Journey into Mystery 108, featuring Loki and Doctor Strange. We have Tales to Astonish 60, with Giant Man um, doing something in Berlin. But also The Incredible Hulk starts. Mm-hmm. We have The X-Men 7 with The Return of the Blob and The Evil You-Know-Who's. Amazing Spider-Man 17 with The Return of the Green Goblin guest starring The Human Torch. The Avengers number 8 with Kang the Conqueror. The Fantastic Four 31 and The Mad Menace of the Macabre Mole Man. Sergeant Fury 10 on to Okinawa. Strange Tales 125, where the Submariner must be stopped, and can't catch me, Morda, fast as fast can be, can't catch me, Dutch Strange. Mm-hmm. And finally, Tales of Suspense 58, mm. featuring the power of Iron Man clashing with Captain America, and oh yes, the Watcher must die. See, now that we have Tales to Astonish 60, we actually are going to have to start splitting stories. Yes. Because it's not like a, you know, majority of one story and then a little couple pages of The Watcher. It's split right down the middle now. Um, but I'm not picking that one. But you can go if you want. I still haven't figured out my bottom. Oh. Well, what are you deciding between? Well, maybe Sergeant Fury. I don't know. I don't feel like it was horrible, but I'm kind of getting tired of it being repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantastic Four is a good contender, except I do like the parent stuff and the ending. But the whole Mole Man thing is just, ugh. So. Right, right. I don't know. You know what? I'm going to make Fantastic Four my bottom. Because, okay. yeah, Mole Man is just terrible. And my favorite is Amazing Spider-Man because, come on, there's just too much complicated awesomeness in that issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic Four is my almost top and my almost bottom because that annual was really good. Oh, and well, the Mole yeah. the Man story was really not. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose Journey into Mystery 108. Okay. Because even though there were parts of that that I liked, it all came together into kind of a jumbled mess. And I didn't really enjoy reading it. Um, And Amazing Spider-Man 17 is one of my favorite comics of all time. Yeah. So you should probably pick it. I should probably pick it this time. Yeah. I like TOS just for, like, nostalgia, but I can't say it's more than just a big, long fight. So... That's why I didn't pick that one. Um, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man has too much good story. Um, I'm actually wondering if I want to change it to Giant Man. <laughs> Giant Man was also almost a bottom. But I actually remember liking that he did most of his work as Ant-Man in that, in that story. You know, you're right. He did do a lot of Ant-Man. They sidelined the Wasp, which is unforgivable. That is true. He did a lot of cool Ant-Man stuff in that. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll leave it, I'll, leave it at, um, I'll leave it at Thor. And it's nice to get the Hulk back, but I'm not, I think that was more of a setup story than a story story, seemed like. Yeah. All right, so those are our top and bottom picks for the month of July 1964. What's our homework for next uh, episode, Mike? 
All right, so it's going to be another three issues. It's going to be Daredevil number four, with looks like the first appearance of the Purple Man from the uh, you know Daredevil Netflix series. If you guys like that, this is where he starts. Journey into Mystery number 109, where Thor and his metal hammer have to fight Magneto. So that might be cool. And Tales to Astonish number 61, where we have the Hulk, who's captured at last, and Giant Man fighting an android. So that's our assignments, kids. All right. Um, And we want to say thank you for following us to some people over on Twitter. We've got Married with Comics and The Rod Pod with John and Maggie at MWC underscore podcast. We have, and that, that Rod Pod is like a Rodimus Prime, so it's a Transformers podcast. They're going through the um, IDW Wave 2 mm. series of comics, which I'll definitely be listening to whenever I get to that in my reading. Uh, Gary Craig, suspended between Finchley Central and High Barnet. We have Doc Strange at Billy D underscore Licious. I like comics, classic movies, soccer, and that's about it. Check out my blog, magazinesandmonsters.com. We have Fabio Arturo Corrias, Beatle Maniac, Sci-Fi Lover, Crazy for Books, Music, and Cinema. We have Clippers Nation, Noah Clipper One. Is this is this is a sports thing, isn't it? Clippers? Um, yeah, Clippers are basketball, I think. Yeah, yeah. He says, a Clippers fan and Ducks fan, Rams fan, Dodgers fan, Angels fan, Marvel fan, DC fan, Jurassic Park fan, Star Wars fan, Young Justice fan, Power Rangers fan. Well, all right. I think he's so, from L.A. He might be from L.A. Uh, Noah, did, did you know I have a, a Power Rangers related podcast? It's, it's a super silly Sentai. You check that out. And um, at Comics Captured, a comic book fan who likes to draw. So those are all following us over on the the Twitters. Thank you very much. We always appreciate retweets and um, mentioning us to your friends and family and loved ones and children and grandchildren on Twitter. And if you want to follow us on Twitter or Facebook for that matter, you can find the link to do that at makeoursmarvel.com or just go to Twitter and type in makeoursmarvel. That works too. Um, But also on our on our site, we have links to the RSS feed for this show or links directly to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Of course, type the name of the show, Make Ours Marvel, into any of your podcast apps, and that should hopefully work too. And use the website's uh, contact form if you want to write us a letter, have any comments, thoughts, questions that we may or may not be able to answer. We often do a mailbag episode where we read your letters and respond, so if you're interested in that, please do so. Hopefully there's just recently been one of those go up because we are desperately planning to record one next week as we record this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's been one of those things we've been trying to do for a while. Um, but yes, I'm also on Twitter at John Reads Comics, my um, Image Comics podcast at All the Pouches, my Transformers UK podcast that is still cooking but will be launching in the fall is at TFUK podcast. My super silly Sentai commentary podcast to do with my son on the um, the Japanese show that eventually became Power Rangers is called Super Sentai, and you can follow that at Silly Sentai. I also do a tweet blog for the Scarlet Witch at Let's Talk Wanda. So is that it? That's it. Are we done. I'm That's done. It. I'm well, done. I'm done with June, July. Until next time, or until Mary Jane gets out of dating Peter because she doesn't want to date Spider-Man. Make ours Marvel. Marvel.